All right, ladies and gentlemen, all of you good, wonderful citizens of Crip Nation. It is your hosts, Bryce Paul and Mr. Aaron Pizza Mind Malone. Aaron, how are you doing today? Uh, things going good for you in this new year. Hopefully, uh, you know, as we've ramped up the schedule to now two podcasts a week, you're not too tuckered out over there in your new Texas home. Uh, it's a new year, but it's the same old crap, Bryce. Markets are tanking. We're expecting different things, and reality is given us. So <laughs> there's a lot of us in the same position as me right now. We are out of dry powder. Uh, and classic. we need to we need to have a crypto garage sale. We need to somehow sell off a piece of furniture or some old art that's been collecting dust. If only there was a way to get this in a tokenized way. Mm. and be able to immediately then trade it for some more cryptos, more Ethereum, more Bitcoin, whatever it is. How do I create an NFT out of my old stuff? Yeah, I was going to say, didn't you you get pretty deep into the NFT game over the summer? Is that right? I learned not deep, but I got a high level. I got a real high level of where the space is going. And I think it's going to be as big as crypto is itself at this point. It's a whole other blooming sector, but I didn't learn how to actually do it. So hopefully we can figure that out at some point. I got people calling me up, friends asking me, how do I create an NFT out of my art? How do I create an NFT out of my music? Mm-hmm. You know, I just built some furniture out of some old pallets. If I can't sell this, can I at least sell the rights to it? <laughs> you know, what's going on? Yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I, I am getting more people now probably approaching me curious about NFTs. Uh, as the as the sort of buzzword, as opposed to Bitcoin or as opposed to blockchain or crypto or DeFi, right? Uh, people just from from the past, my you know past life, you know when I was in high school and college, they're like, oh Bryce, we see you're in crypto now, but like help us figure out NFTs. So clearly there's a market for this stuff. Clearly there's a demand, and I think a lot of people are scratching their heads. And and, and probably you know if this is your first time listening to a crypto podcast. You might not have even heard the term of NFT. So we're going to dive into that, unpack it. It's a new wave of uh, of crypto, of investing, of art, uh, of Web3, all sorts of stuff. But anyhow, regardless, we're going to we're going to introduce our guest today, Anthony Georgiades, who is the founder of an NFT platform uh, called Pastel Network. So, Anthony, uh, welcome to the Crypto 101 podcast. Awesome. Thanks for having me here, guys. Yeah, we're we're excited. Um, but but first, before we you know dive into to non fungible tokens uh, and, and all that good stuff, what a, you know is your background a little bit? Um, How did you kind of come to the crypto space, and what were you doing before? Yeah, um, so I actually co-founded a venture fund called Innovating Capital uh, back in late 2016. Uh, we're structured as a traditional venture fund. Um, I run the digital asset and crypto book there. Um, and you know, we make a number of concentrated bets in the crypto space, um, Pastel being one of them, um, that we've really effectively quasi-incubated. And, and I've stepped in in an effective full-time role over the last year plus. And prior to that, I actually got involved in my first dabble in the crypto market, I'm actually through the development side, submitting some PRs and whatnot to some early Ethereum-based smart contract platforms. And that was, you know, again, back in 2016. And I just immediately fell in love with the space, um, just the broad potential of what we could really see just out of the Web3. Um, and again, the way I look at the crypto ecosystem and sphere moving forward 
is you know really the simplest way to think about it is a series of different open web APIs that enable people, enterprises, applications, whatever it might be to communicate across the world in a completely just peer-to-peer fashion um, that provide a lot more optimization and remove a lot of the efficiencies or intermediaries that in the prior life really just kind of bogged down um, and led to inefficient fees and things of the nature. So yeah, became absolutely. super passionate about it, launched the fund, and um, here we are today. And yeah, Pastel, um, correct me if I'm wrong, it was founded like way back in 2018, correct? Correct. Yeah. So I was at a conference in 2018. Um, and we were really going deep into the future of what I would call kind of the multi-chain paradigm. Um, and we had almost determined that uh, the future of the ecosystem would be really revolved around kind of two general ideas. Uh, number one would be multiple different application-specific chains communicating, relaying information back to the likes of Ethereum, um, as well as from a vertical approach, a number of um, on-chain optimization techniques, ZK rollups, sidechains, parachains, et cetera. Um, and I met the team, the, the founder working on Pastel, um, and I immediately just fell in love with his vision to build this application-specific blockchain to help solve a number of the problems uh, pervasive around the world of NFTs. And I almost looked at him like he was crazy at the time because no one knew what NFTs were. Um, and he was talking about the number of problems in the space already. Um, and I immediately fell in love with the vision and the idea. We started to invest in it in day one. And as I mentioned, um, I stepped in in a full-time capacity as one of the co-founders and have helped really build it since then. Tell us a little bit about what kind of the the NFT space, it probably wasn't even called the NFT space. Uh, back in 2018, paint us a picture of like how far we've come and, uh, you know, just kind of what what things were like back then. Yeah, no, it's it's crazy. So back then there was a lot of exciting stuff happening. There was NFTs on, on Bitcoin, um, colored coins. You had rare Pepe's um, and whatnot. And those were kind of some of the OG NFTs. Um, and similar to some of the trends we've seen today, um, they were really nothing more than kind of static images, PFPs, et cetera. Um, you had obviously the emergence of crypto kitties, which I think was really kind of the full, first culminating point where we really saw a vast amount of demand and initial validation of broader NFTs. And the fact that somebody could actually craze and demand a piece of static digital art or a JPEG or whatever it might be for X amount of you know dollars. And we saw a massive clogging up of the Ethereum network and whatnot. But one thing I'd say too is the ecosystem around NFTs and when you know the ERC721 standard originally came out, the idea of digital art or images was just one of many different uh, mediums that could be utilized by NFTs. Um, and so what's funny is to see how the market has really transformed today um, we see obviously images, videos, metaverse objects, et cetera, ownership as, you know, membership as ownership. But beyond that, we still have so many uh, steps to go in terms of real estate, credit markets, data, um, in terms of what can really become an NFT and leverage a lot of this technology in the ecosystem. And that's really why Pastel was born, um, was to really lay the found work, the foundation for a lot of this infrastructure to really propel the ecosystem um, you know, 10, 15 plus years into the future. The creation of Bitcoin was an answer to the 2008 financial crisis. And 
the continued money printing has really been the rocket that's lit the market here in the last couple of years. Ethereum's rocket was the censorship of the App Store and the impossibility of developers to have freedom in that regard. What was the rocket ship that lit NFTs up last year in the art and music and creator space, aside from just the potential security tokens that we thought NFTs were going to be? Yeah, no, you, you touched on a number of good points there, right? Um, you know, first and foremost, last year, the last couple of years have been just insane. The amount of money that's been printed between you know, public equities, private assets, real estate, um, you name it, right? Um, markets are on fire and have, have definitely torn up. Uh, more speculative assets like cryptocurrencies and even on the right end of kind of the you know risk curve, NFTs have definitely seen a inflow of capital, speculation, et cetera. But, you know, I think beyond that, there's a couple other factors where it's it's really validated and far beyond just a pure point of speculation. What I think was super exciting um, was really kind of the Board API Club coming out. Um, and again, everyone's at this point probably heard of that, but that was really the first point in time that I've at least really witnessed and seen that we saw an ownership of this you know, NFT or this digital collectible provide means to membership of something else. And it's just amazing what they've done and what they've been able to build around that community. So I think you had so many different societal factors, economic, demographic factors that were really compounding over the last 24 months. And obviously that's really paved the way for both the means to speculate on some of these assets, but also the demand to get access to some of this community-wide ownership and membership. And so to me, when I think about NFTs in the future, it goes back to your points too, in terms of Bitcoin and Ethereum and what they really brought to the table. Democratization, right? Democratization, accessibility. I don't necessarily need to go out and be able to acquire from an auction house like Christie's um, an original Van Gogh or Monet to get access to um, some exclusive art club. I could be whoever I am around the world. Um, and if I have the means to acquire this NFT, I'm getting access to this community. It doesn't matter what my societal ranking is or what my background is, right? All that matters is that, hey, I'm an owner of this um, and I've gained access to this club and it's completely uh, peer-to-peer, completely censorship resistant um, and open to the world. Wow. Yeah. So, so tell us, what's your favorite thing about NFTs. Like, you know, there's lots of different cool use cases. I think the energy in the space is pretty cool with, with the artwork, but like, what's one thing that really drives you? Yeah. I mean, look, there's so much. The thing is, if you really just take a step back, you know, what is an NFT? What does it represent? Um, so much of what we do on a day to day basis in the real world, right, um, revolves around effective, you know, non fungible goods your social security number, my birth certificate, right? My identity, um, basically a ticket to a game. I give you 20 bucks, you give me 20 bucks back. It doesn't matter, right? But so many of the other underlying goods are revolved around basically immutable stale pieces of data. Mm-hmm. Um, and and just to break really things long- down real quick for, for people who who just, we haven't even said the fungible versus non-fungible thing, but like, like you said, $20 for one $20 bill, those are fungible right? Mm-hmm. One Bitcoin for another Bitcoin, totally fungible. Uh, yeah. You know, one Ether for one Ether, totally fungible. But, you know, one, you know, unique 
piece of something versus one unique piece of something, you know, they're, they're, they're obviously not the same one piece of art and another piece of art. They're, they're two separate exactly. NFTs. Your apartment versus my apartment, completely separate. You know, my phone number, your social security number, right? Um, a a timestamp piece of data from some sort of oil refinery in the middle of Texas, right? That's unique. So the overall means and methods um, and applications really that NFTs can capture is so broad and encapsulating so many different kind of areas and facets of the world. Um, It just gets me excited, just the adjustable market that NFTs can really touch and capture first and foremost. Um, The second is obviously the underlying technology that basically underpins what NFTs are. It's one of the primary use cases for distributed ledger technologies built on intrinsic data integrity. And so that's also just something that I think is great um, is just the fact that, you know, for the first time, we're really seeing a, a, not necessarily the first time, but a massive practical application around blockchains in a distributed decentralized manner. Um, And then obviously some of the, what I would view as kind of more mainstream adoption oriented items. Um, You know, again, there is this kind of confluence of, of factors that are pushing the world towards um, certain metaverse oriented ways and means that we might interact and communicate with each other in the future. And I think NFTs just provide another layer, another factor of that broader ecosystem. So it's not necessarily just me in a virtual Microsoft Teams meeting, right? It's me in a uh, Decentraland ecosystem with you know, my personal identity that I've, I've collected, um, certain characteristics or traits, right? Uh, Timestamp data, things like that. Um, and I think it adds a layer of, of both practicality um, and sophistication that I think will actually enable those things to operate in ways and means that we can't even imagine yet today. So that's a great high-level overview of where the NFT space is. Now let's really talk to the people out there that want to make their own NFTs, that want to get involved. How do we create an NFT? Where do we go? Is it difficult? Do we need to know how to code? Is it just a bunch of drag and drop stuff like uploading an image to a sharing website or to Facebook? What's the actual process like? So let's talk about the core basics of how it works first and what's available today for users um, from kind of a practical standpoint. So what an NFT is at the end of the day is nothing more than kind of a piece of code that lives on top of a blockchain, right? In the case of Ethereum, you're deploying what's called a smart contract to the Ethereum virtual machine, and it lives on that blockchain. And with that, you can provide basically, you know, custom fields. Uh, this is how many of these, you know, types of things exist. Um, this is the property or the characteristic or the attribute or trait that makes up this NFT. Um, and it lives in perpetuity, right? It can't be amended. It can't be changed. It can't be edited, et cetera. And so obviously that's a little bit abstract. So to kind of take it a step back, there's been a number of user-facing applications like OpenSea, rareable, super rare that live on the Ethereum ecosystem and support other blockchains as well that enable users to be able to simply go to their website, create a profile and create a quote unquote NFT. And what those mechanisms or applications like OpenSea are doing on the back end is taking that information that you've inputted and writing it to a smart contract that they basically then deploy on your behalf um, to Ethereum. So 
the reason why I bring that up is you can kind of see there's two ends of the spectrum. Number one, there's being able to write a bunch of code, deploy an NFT yourself using you know an open Zeppelin standard. And on, on the other hand, there's a way to basically be able to go to a front-facing application and use what they've basically prescribed to deploy and create an NFT in that respect. So step one, go to OpenSea or Super Rare or Rarible. And then step two, input all your data. Step three, pick which network to deploy it on. Is that correct? Um, so yeah, certain applications support certain networks. Um, OpenSea, for example, supports Ethereum um, as well as Polygon and Clayton. And again, it requires you to obviously connect an existing method to be able to actually pay for minting an NFT. So mm-hmm. minting an NFT isn't free. You're sending data to a network or to a blockchain to a series of basically, you know, you can almost think about them as people that are running the network. In the th- case of Ethereum, you know, miners. And those miners need to get paid to basically take your transaction and actually put it on the blockchain. Um, and so you do need to actually, the first step really is to get an Ethereum account or whatever blockchain account you need, upload the form of payment and pay for those transaction fees or those gas fees, et cetera. Many of you have probably heard uh, about how the market for collectibles, including NFTs, has gone totally crazy over the last year. And the problem, though, is that even if you wanted to invest in some of these assets, the price tags are simply out of reach for most investors. But there's actually solutions to this problem. And I wanted to tell you about one of those right now. So this podcast is sponsored by Otis. Otis is an investment platform that makes it possible for almost anyone to invest in shares of cultural assets. So here's how it works. You download their app and you sign up for free. They have over 100 items available for you to invest in, from rare collectibles like sports cards, comics and video games, to NFTs, contemporary art, and even rare sneakers. Shares usually start around 10 bucks, plus they add new assets every week. Then you can earn a potential return if Otis sells the underlying assets for more than the price the item was dropped at or by selling your shares to other Otis members on Otis's real-time trading platform. So some of the drops from Otis are amazing. These uh, things are like sports cards and memorabilia, uh, like a ticket to the Kobe Bryant's final NBA game or a bunch of boxed, never open vintage video games like the original Game Boy Pokemon games. And as a music lover, to be honest, I was excited to see uh, an actual first generation, brand new first generation iPod. So if products like this sound up your alley, well, right now, Otis is offering listeners of this show a free share when they fund their account. And all you have to do is go to with otis.com slash crypto 101 and sign up to get your first share for free that is with otis w-i-t-h-o-t-i-s dot com slash c-r-y-p-t-o 101 for more risks and disclaimers go to with otis without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running everything would suddenly stop Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones 
who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply dot com slash legal slash disclaimer and please check out the show notes uh, for those as well so if someone's starting from scratch they don't have any wallet <laughs> and they don't know the, the difference between ethereum solana tezos or even pastel network you know what's the best and easiest way to begin i know ethereum gas fees are outrageous right now is there any one blockchain that's better suited for NFTs than another? And how does the Pastel Network fit into this ecosystem? Yeah, absolutely. So first and foremost, uh, we are of the approach that it's going to be a multi-chain world. There's going to be a number of different blockchains interacting, interoperable, talking to get you know talking to each other. By sheer numbers today, in terms of volume, network effects, etc., um, you can't necessarily ever say there's anything better than Ethereum right now, just in terms of the number of users, the development mindshare, and the broader network effects that they've achieved so far to date. Um, so if I was a user, again, um, you know, pure, obviously, you know, not any sort of financial advice or anything of the nature, um, but I would basically say that the easiest way to get onboarded is to acquire a certain amount of Ethereum, get an OpenSea account. It's a great user interface, um, great platform. Effectively, you know, get the Ethereum to your MetaMask wallet, and effectively, um, you can easily create an NFT on OpenSea um, within a matter of of minutes. Again, variable network fees. Does can't tell you how much you're going to pay for it, mm-hmm. um, just depending on how the network's operating. But that to me is the simplest and easiest way to to do it if I was going to onboard to day one. Um, that being said, you know, there's a number of awesome platforms coming out. Nifty Kit, for example, that's offering ways for users to really have easy ways to mint NFTs um, as simple as swiping a credit card effectively and you get it onto the Ethereum blockchain without doing any of that fancy stuff I mentioned. Pastel, for example, is coming out with a similar type of um, user-facing web app that enables users to easily mint an NFT that gets you know wrapped on, you know, basically wrapped on Pastel and Ethereum. So it's living on both blockchains at once. And you get all of the added functionality, features, and technology that Pastel provides. Um, so, yeah, so it's going to be pretty sweet. That'll be coming out um, later this quarter. Wow. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. And, you know, one of the the things that I'm kind of curious about is, as you know, do you see, or do you think that there is in terms of like real world assets um, that are like, you know, whether it's, you know, mortgages or, you know, bonds, you know, there's a a company called centrifuge or a, a blockchain, you know, network that called centrifuge. Um, that is like bringing on, you know, they're tokenizing real world assets. Do you see those real world assets playing a role in, you know, on blo- pastel network or is pastel more focused on, you know, NFT as art? Um, it's focused on NFTs, NFTs being what whatever sort of underlying intrinsic data it is. The blockchain doesn't care what kind of data it is. It looks at it as, as like an abstract data blob. That could be a static piece of digital art. It could be a, a full game. It could be a, a meme or a metaverse object. Um, it could be a real estate deed, you know. So anything that's immutable, stale, NFT type data can live on Pastel. Okay. And then does Pastel Network uh, have a, like a native token associated with it? It does. And so, I, you know, you touched on obviously uh, a couple of things on Pastel. I think the, the one thing to keep in mind in terms of how to think about it is, again, Pastel is its own blockchain. So it's on layer one, application-specific blockchain. Um, and similar to Ethereum, anybody can come in and launch a full marketplace, adapt, whatever it is, directly on top of the pastel blockchain. And what you get with that is um, basically neg- negligible transaction fees, consistent network uptime. You're not competing with tons of other marketplaces and DeFi applications that might live on Ethereum that are hosting, you know, fungible tokens. You're living on an ecosystem and network that's been tailored towards NFTs directly. Uh, and so you get a lot of those benefits and characteristics with it. On top of that, there's kind of really two interesting protocols and amazing pieces of technology that we've been working on uh, that we've really started to deploy across other layer one ecosystems. Um, so the first is our Sense protocol. Um, and what Sense is, is it's a deep learning based method to assess how rare an NFT is relative to other NFTs in the ecosystem. Um, and so a lot of the problems that have come out and a lot of the noise has been around frauds, scams, copyright infringement, things like that. And what we've developed is a way to basically transform every NFT into you can almost think about it like a fingerprint, right? A fingerprint that you as a human would be able to intuit how similar one NFT is from another just by looking at it. But if you gave me an image and I cropped it, changed it, et cetera, um, the simple way of doing it is to just take the hash. Those hashes are going to be different. So the computer thinks they're different. So what we've done is transform these NFTs into various fingerprints. And that enables us to actually apply statistical methods to really see the pure rarity and relative similarities between given NFTs. And so, for example, if you created something completely unique, never been seen before, it goes through our system, it gets a score between zero and hundred percent. In this case, it'd be close to hundred percent, never been seen before. Um, if I created something and you ripped it off, um, basically what would happen is you'd get an output score close to zero. And we tell you what NFT it's a duplicate of effectively. Um, and so this is a great way to really help other marketplaces, applications, et cetera, combat a lot of the scams, duplicates, copyright infringement that's been seen. Um, so we're working with a number of different partners, um, you know, layer one blockchains such as Nervos and Tomo Chain, 
were actually integrating their tech um, across their existing marketplaces and, and NFTs that are built in their ecosystems. Um, the other the other kind of technology I would touch on real quick is um, Cascade, which is a permanent storage solution for NFTs. And for the listeners that are just getting kind of a firsthand touch in terms of what NFTs are, one of the biggest things to really keep in mind in terms of protecting yourself is when you buy an NFT, what's important is going back to my initial comment, you're really just buying a piece of code that has kind of a link to where that file might be stored. You're not really acquiring that file itself. So what's important is how is the storage of the data tightly coupled or is it with the quote unquote NFT that I acquired? And with Pastel, we've been focused on solving just this exact problem. What we do is we take a file that's uploaded to the system and you can almost think about it like we chop it up into a bunch of different blocks, um, a bunch of chunks effectively, and then we effectively photocopy those chunks and then randomly send them to every single supernode that lives on the network. So every computer or every server that's hosting the blockchain now is storing a random fragment of every NFT that lives in the ecosystem. There's no central server. It's not being stored on Anthony's local machine in New York. Um, it's not relying on some sort of external dependency that you know might require you to pay a monthly fee or anything like that. It's a pay once, store forever, in a completely redundant, lossless fashion. And the same partners, layer ones and layer twos, you know, you could be a marketplace on Ethereum, you could be a commercial enterprise like DraftKings, and you can tap into these two protocols directly on the ecosystem. Um, it's a really kind of go full circle back to your initial question. Um, do we have a native token? Yes, uh, PSL. And PSL is used like the gas to run the machine. Anytime you send data to Pastel, you're paying PSL to basically make these requests. Um, and so in return, you're getting basically the storage, the security, the authenticity, verification, et cetera. That's really interesting. So you guys got fraud tackled. You have storage tackled. What about revenue streams for NFTs as they start to work their way into this you know, emerging Web3 space? Is buying and selling the only way you can monetize something? Or can one get paid per view or listen or share? What other revenue streams are out there for NFTs? Yeah, no, it's um, it's a really interesting question. There's obviously a lot that's getting explored in the world of royalties. One thing to keep in mind is uh, even as simple as royalties, that's a problem right now. If I have an NFT and I create it and I want a 10% perpetual royalty, right? Effectively, what happens now when a user takes that NFT and wraps it or mints it on another blockchain. So there's been some issues in terms of where those royal, where that royalty metadata is really being stored. And an inherent flaw is a lot of these marketplaces like OpenSea and, and whatnot are actually storing some of that royalty data at the pure kind of layer two level. So it's not intrinsic to not only the blockchain ecosystem itself, but it's certainly not necessarily going to translate across more multi-chain environments. So there's been a lot of technology to help kind of solve those problems in terms of these perpetual royalty systems. What's interesting about Cascade is Cascade does track that. Um, it can take in any metadata, including this sort of royalty mechanism. And so as we have more bridges, as we have more multi-chain integrations, it'll be a lot easier for a creator to come in, mint something and be 
ensure that they're going to have these perpetual royalties that accrue across any sort of blockchain ecosystem. Beyond that, in terms of how to kind of think through various quote-unquote utilities, services, and whatnot, what I think is super exciting is we've seen obviously a ton of incremental airdrops. I buy into an NFT. I'm going to get airdrop the future NFT. Um, I'm also going to get access to a certain uh, potential channel. I'm going to get goods and services, et cetera. I wouldn't necessarily purely think about it in terms of, hey, what are my pure revenue streams as much as what types of commoditized and non-commoditized goods and services am I getting access to by having ownership and by being a member of this particular community itself? Wow. What's kind of like one, you know, kind of one thing that you would want artists or, you know, kind of issuers of NFTs to keep at the forefront of their mind, anything that's maybe unique to the medium of NFTs that, that artists are exploring. I know we've talked about, you know, membership as ownership um, or, or sorry, membership as a service and different things like that. But um, is there anything else that you're seeing that kind of excites you there? For sure. In terms of, in terms of particularly from an artist perspective. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's so much that's exciting out in the world right now. I guess the gen, uh, a lot of people are doing the AI generative art. Yeah. I was actually just about to touch on that. There's an amazing amount of really cool technology that's emerging. Artblocks, for example, is working on some super interesting stuff, generative, you know, generative sorts of NFTs that come out. And so um, you know, for the listeners, what, what generative NFTs are, effectively, you can almost think about them as computer-generated NFTs um, that are randomly put together via deep learning and machine learning methodologies. What's great is these machine learning or deep learning algorithms can be fine-tuned and tailored by the creator. So the creator could say, hey, here's 10 NFTs I've made myself personally. Here are the you know, characteristics, traits, attributes, et cetera. And I've put them in to this model to help kind of train this model to now generate, th- generate things for me. And so what we've seen is really cool sort of you know, mystery NFTs um, or random airdrops where a user acquires something and that gets them right to a generative NFT in the future um, and things like that. I think some of the other cool stuff from a creator or collector standpoint, we're still a little early in this and it's evolving very fast, but fractional ownership as well as various NFT indices. And obviously, you know, can't go without saying um, DAOs that have started to really emerge in the NFT environment itself. And so a couple of things to touch on, right? First and foremost, the interesting thing apart about NFTs that we discussed was that they always really meant to represent democratization and accessibility. But what happened is we saw this inflow of capital and speculation so fast that you know now you have bored apes with floors of 73 ETH, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars. So we've immediately crowded out a lot of potential entrants into the market. What I'm excited about is some of the fractional owners and some of the indices that are emerging that basically help reset and level the playing field. And what that means is somebody, you know, call anyone can basically put up a certain amount of money, buy into this fund, and this fund goes and acquires NFT. And now you at least have some ownership of that underlying ape or whatever it might be. On the flip side, um, what's super exciting is the fact that I think there's going to be a massive bridge between some of these NFT communities and overall DAOs. 
in terms of governance. And we saw really the first example of that starting to play out in the pudgy, the pudgy penguin community um, where they ousted their founder um, and have helped really restabilize that broader community and help instill certain governance decisions in terms of where that collection is going to go moving forward. Um, whereas in the past, what, what is interesting is some of the biggest collections we see today, they are kind of quasi-centralized. They're managed by different labs, different organizations with a handful of central entities and intermediaries. Um, I think they've done a great job in terms of keeping on the path of their promises, hitting roadmaps, being decentralized in certain instances. But getting to that level of full decentralization um, will require some of these NFT communities to act as more broader um, governance organizations, as we've seen with the likes of um, Pudgy Penguins moving recently. Yeah, fantastic stuff. Um, Anthony, while we still have you, a um, couple you know, just last closing questions, a um, couple questions we like to ask people as they come on the show. But uh, just in terms of like other people that are in the crypto space that you want to kind of draw attention to their work, maybe uh, they've got a really interesting project that you want to support, um, just or somebody who's, who has research that you think is really interesting. One other person that, you know, we could kind of go on our lunch breaks and go home and Google. Um, always curious about what people have to say about this one. Yeah. Yeah. Just anybody that I most admire. In this yeah. Case. Basically, you know, if, if people like listening to you, uh, you know, who are you influenced by? Uh, who's somebody else that, you know, they like you, they might like this guy. <laughs> or yeah, gal. for sure. Um, you know, I, I really have always admired Eric Chen. He's the subject the protocol. Full disclosure, we're an investor. Um, I'm advisor, an advisor, but Eric, and for good reason, Eric's um, one of the smartest minds in the space by far. Um, he is just profoundly technical in terms of just an understanding of various technological trends. He was actually, you know, full disclosure, he was doing a lot of what Solana is doing prior to them getting involved in verifiable delay functions and some of the cryptographical research coming out of Stanford and things like that. Um, and has always really been kind of one step ahead or multiple, multiple steps ahead in terms of what's the next emerging technology, what's the next trend, um, where is this market and ecosystem really going? Um, and I've been super just um, basically impressed and love the passion and just ongoing kind of rigor he's just deployed. Um, and I think Injective Protocol is going to reap a lot of those benefits and success, um, just given obviously him at the helm and whatnot. Love it. And then finally, uh, if this was the very first crypto podcast somebody was listening to, one word of wisdom, one word of advice from uh, from just an OG in the space. Yeah, look... <laughs> Do your own research. Uh, never trust anyone. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. After the dilemmas that we've seen unfold in some of these discord channels where people are giving away their, their seed phrases and all sorts of stuff like that. Don't do any of that nonsense, guys. I mean, I, I fell victim to it back in uh, 2016. Um, I, yeah, I was fished. Um, and, I, you know, I, it's again, back then it was so nascent, so early. But to see some of those scams still so persistent today uh, is, is frustrating. 
because you have so many newcomers coming into the market and this stuff is not easy to understand. You know, we're talking about sending money from Coinbase to MetaMask, you know, what the heck is that? Um, and so it's easy to prey on people. And I think the biggest thing is if you are getting involved, just really understand that at the end of the day, um, the way the blockchain functions, there's no FDIC insured capital here. There's no one to call. There's no central banker to say, hey, hey I just had wire from, uh, you know, it's, it's basically, you know, you and yourself. Um, and so don't trust anyone, always verify and, you know, just <laughs> effectively be safe. Man, couldn't have said it better myself. Love it. All right. Well, Anthony, thanks for joining us today. Um, and we'd love to have you back on again soon uh, with some more updates on Pastel uh, as the year develops. But we hope you have a happy new year, man. You too, man. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, guys. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.